Um, some folks who can't come have asked us to try to record these things so they can have some kind of, I don't know, connection to what we're teaching. So Trevor and I don't really want to post them because, uh, I don't know, they're shorter and they're not like full sermons. We feel like they're sort of like uh, snack sermons, but whatever. Uh, they are what they are. So today, if you've been here long enough, you realize that um, when we preach things, it just happens that you get a whole lot of what's actually going on in our lives, uh, whether it's the good, the bad, or the ugly. It's just kind of what happens. And this week, two things kind of shaped what, what we're going to look at today. One of them is, is that uh, Carson, one of our elders, sent us this article, and uh, it was full of statistics. And so I'm going to give you some statistics, which of course means that that's bad because like there's never good statistics. Like they never give you statistics to support something happy. They're like, yay, you know, 95% of people are good or whatever. No, it's always blah, 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 and it's bad. It makes everybody feel sad. So, but he gave us some of these statistics about uh, American Christianity and kind of what American Christians are believing with regards to the gospel. So, so that was one of these things. The other thing is just kind of what's been going on in my own walk with the Lord. So on these statistics, I'll kind of read them off to you. And like I said, don't, don't get beat down. This is just what some statistician has said, but that 35% of Americans embrace a biblical view of salvation, meaning they embrace that we're saved by, by faith or by grace through faith, by grace alone, in Christ alone, and his finished work on the cross, right? Like, like that I am saved because I believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, uh, died on the cross, rose from the dead, and that I, I, I repent of my sins and turn to him to be saved, right? That 35% of Americans today believe that. So what that means, though, is that two out of three people don't. So that was kind of discouraging. 52% of people who call themselves Christians, who would say yes, who, who identify as Christians, would say that uh, believe in a, in a, uh, a works-based salvation, meaning, okay, I believe uh, in God or what Christ did plus some other stuff and all kinds of other stuff that can be. I believe, yes, that Jesus died for my sins and rose from the grave, and I've got to do this in order to get to heaven. Be a good person, go to church, tithe, fill in the blank, whatever. Confess to a priest, all these things. And so just over half of people, 54% of Americans total, believe that they will experience heaven after they die. So 54% of people, just over half, believe that when they die, they're going to heaven. So if you wonder why people seem uh, nervous and scared nowadays, it's because like half the country thinks they're going to hell or nothing will happen. I don't know. But just barely half the country has the assurance that, hey, when this life is done, like I go to be with God. I mean, that's, I hang all of my hope on that single nail. That's it. I don't have hope on anything else but Jesus. Nothing. All of my hope hangs on that one nail. If that one nail fails, that's it. I don't have anything else. So all of my hope hangs on Jesus. So if that nail falls for me, I don't have anywhere else to go. It's like Peter when he talks to Jesus, right? He's like, well, who else do we turn to? Who else has salvation, Jesus? I don't have anywhere else to go. So so that was kind of weighing on my heart and this idea that we as a church, we have to keep teaching the gospel. And if you're around us for long enough, man, if you don't hear us at some point say the gospel, if you've been coming here for very long, you can raise your hand. You can say, hey, shut up and tell us the gospel. And we'll shut up and we'll tell you the gospel. You can just say that anytime you want. But that our whole being as a church and us as individuals should be gospel oriented, right? That people don't understand the gospel because Nobody's telling it to them. So it made me think of two things. One, 
that every person deserves, every lost person deserves an opportunity to hear the gospel. Plain and simple, like end of the statement. Every lost person deserves the right to hear the gospel of Jesus explained to them. Everyone. And no one should be denied that right. And I should work, I should give every effort of my energy to make sure that any opportunity I have to give the gospel to somebody, I should give it. And two, and this is going to kind of dovetail in with what was going on in my own life. And that's this, that during this whole pandemic thing, it's still going on. I'm so tired of in these times or in these, whatever the phrase is, I'm so sick of the phrases. In times like these, uh, I just want to vomit. Every commercial says the same thing. They're like, in these scary times, I'm just like, oh my gosh. Yeah, we're in a pandemic. Get over it. Sell me your thing. It's fine. You don't have to hug me to sell me insurance. Just tell me, great. I know it. Y'all are wearing masks. I know it. It's great. I got 97 emails telling me that everybody's concerned. I'm like, fine. That's great. Just do your thing. But anyway, side story. There's a lot of just, I think, just stress and just difficulty and trouble going on in our country. And what it's done is this whole thing has just revealed what we were already like to begin with. We were able to cover it with activities. We were able to cover it with entertainment. And those things kind of got taken away. And it's just revealed what was always there, which is that we're an anxious place. We're an anxious people because we live in fear. And a lot of that is coming from believers. So, One, I believe that every lost person should have the opportunity to hear the gospel. And two, I believe that every believer should experience authentic life in Jesus. There's no other reason other than that that's what Christ wants for us. Every believer deserves to experience the authentic, joyful, full life that we are promised in Christ. Everyone. So these two things have kind of been working in my mind. And the Lord brought me to a passage in, in 2 Peter chapter 1. We'll be in 2 Peter 1 verses uh, 1 through 5, 1 through 4 tonight. And I want to look at, at two of these things. One, I, this whole thing plays into the gospel. It explains the gospel. Peter is obviously very gospel-oriented. But two, I want to look into what is, it that, what is this life that we're supposed to be living? So before I jump in here, let me pray for us and let's uh, dive into 2 Peter 1. Lord, I love you. I thank you that you give us your word, that you give us cicadas, that you give us trees and this beautiful place that we can gather in. I I thank you, like Treb prayed, Lord, that we're not in a basement huddled and that we don't have to worry about people driving up in trucks and and rounding us up and shooting us right now. I, I just, I truly am grateful for that, Lord. I thank you for the word that you gave us. I thank you for the word that you gave us written by Peter who died for his faith. And, and I, I ask, Lord Jesus, that you would teach us how to truly walk with you, to experience the fullness of life that you have for us, and that you would make us the people who are saturated with the gospel, who ooze it out of every pore. Help us to understand the text tonight. Open it up to us. Help us to apply it. And help us to walk in a manner worthy of your name, Lord Jesus. And in that name we pray. Amen. So, Second Peter... Uh, one, he says this, So Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who, through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance 
through the knowledge or the true knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. And I'll focus on the next two verses here. He says, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these, He has given us His very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. Okay, so remember that first point is that I think that everybody deserves to hear the gospel. So here's the gospel, in case you've never heard it. Everybody who exists on planet Earth, save Jesus, is dead in their sins and is an enemy of God and is separated by Him and cannot approach the holy goodness of God because our sin separates us infinitely from Him. The solution to that separation is Jesus. He came and lived a perfect life. He was born of a virgin, did not have our sin nature, and He came and He took our sin upon Him. He died on a cross on Calvary. All of the sin of all of mankind of all of time was poured on Jesus. The just wrath of God of, of all the sin of all of mankind was poured out onto Jesus on the cross and he died in our place. Doing that, he, was, he is the propitiatory sacrifice that we needed. That means that instead of us dying for our sin, he died for us and he satisfied the wrath of God against sin. When he cried out, it is finished, he meant that that, that debt had been paid and that it was no longer to be applied to those who believe in Jesus. He died, and then he rose from the dead, and he conquered death, and he is coming again. Amen. Amen. Those who have not believed that they are sinful, that there is a God, that Christ is his son, that he died on the cross for their sins and rose from the dead, you are condemned before a holy God. I do not like to tell people that, but it's the truth. It's what the Bible says. John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever so believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. But 17 and 18 tell us that if you've not believed in the one and only name of Jesus, you stand condemned already. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that we are enemies of God and that we, are, that we are under His wrath. But by God's grace, because of His great love for us, that we can believe on Christ Jesus and be saved, that I can look to my sin and then I can look to God and I can turn from my sin and sit, turn to God and say, God, I am a sinner in need of salvation. I trust that Jesus died on the cross and that I trust in that sacrifice to atone for my sin. And I want to follow you. I give you my life and my heart. Please save me. And the book of Romans says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you will be saved. If you have never done that, you are not saved and you cannot call yourself a Christian. I do not care how you vote. I do not care what you think. I want to tell you that that's the truth. And if you've never done it, tonight, today is the day of your salvation. God is calling you to himself. Fall on your knees before him and be saved. That is the gospel. Now that is not only the gospel. That's kind of like saying that the marriage is the wedding. Excuse me, flip that. The wedding is the marriage. Like you don't just get married. You don't have a wedding and then you go your separate ways. Well, like you have a wedding so that you can be married for the rest of your life. Well, you get saved so that you can experience the gospel for the rest of your life. And we often just talk about the first part. And I get very frustrated in my own heart. And I have like these, uh, you know, like in your car when you have the, the idiot lights come on. And it's like, ding, you're running out of gas. Ding, you need to change your oil. Ding, whatever. Your tire pressure's low. 
so great your car will tell you all the ways that you're failing now. It's awesome. But I have these things in my life when I'm short with my kids, when I don't have patience, when, I, when, I, when, I, uh, when I'm not listening to my wife very well. Uh, there's all these signals that I get in my, in my daily life that remind me, hey, Brandon, guess what? You're not living the life that Christ has for you. He has not given me a spirit of fear, a spirit of, of worrying. He hasn't done that at all. He's given me eternal life and he wants us to live it today. And so that's what brought me to this passage in, in 2 Peter. So we're going to walk through it a bit. It says in verse 3, His divine power. Whose divine power? Well, God's divine power. It says, has given us. That's a past completed action. It's done. Has given us. Who's the us? In verse 1, those who through the righteousness of God our Savior have received a faith as precious than ours, as ours. It's those who believed on Jesus and been saved. His divine power has given us everything we need for what? For life and godliness. So that word life there means, means the absolute fullness of life. Like when Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, that's the word that he uses. It's this absolute fullness, this, this uh, moral, this ethical, this experiential, this essential uh, just lifeness to it. It is the full, genuine, active, vigorous life that God wants for us. Everything we need for essential, ethical, moral, genuine life. And godliness. Godliness is the attitude that results in behavior that pleases the Lord. So godliness is an attitude that results in behavior that pleases the Lord. It's not that I just act the right way and God like claps his hands at me. He's like, yay, way to go. No, it's I have an attitude, of the attitude of Christ. I have a humble attitude, and that humble attitude enables me to walk in the Holy Spirit, which enables me to live a life that pleases the Lord. It says, He has called us by what? His own glory and goodness or, or excellence. That goodness has this moral connotation. It's like a moral excellence. That God has called us to Himself by His own glory and goodness. Not by my glory, not by my goodness, but by His. Then it says, through these or by these, by his glory and goodness, he has given, once again, a past completed action. He has given us his very great and precious promises. What are those promises? There's a lot of them. Right there are the covenants in the Bible, the, uh, the, 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 the covenant to Noah. Every time we see a rainbow, it's a reminder of the promise of God to never flood the earth again in judgment. The whole earth, parts of the earth, obviously flood. The covenant to Moses, the covenant of, of David, that forever there will be a, 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 someone on David's throne, a king on the throne of David, and that king is Jesus. And now we live under a new covenant, that anyone who comes to faith in Jesus, that his blood is the sacrifice in that covenant, and that by faith in Christ we can have a new life in God. We can have a relationship with him, a covenant that we receive by faith. Another promise we said earlier that Jesus is coming back. Just read through the end of the Bible. He's coming, people. I don't know when he's coming. There'll be lots of people because every time things get scary, people say, Jesus is coming back. And like, come Lord Jesus. I hope they're right. But if anybody says he's coming back on this day or whatever, just, just keep reading. So um, he's coming back on a day, but I don't know what that day is. And no one else does either. So he does. Okay. So it says through them, excuse me. He has given us these very great and precious 
promises. So that, why has he given us these great and precious promises? So that through these promises, you may participate in the divine nature. I want to focus on this phrase for a second. That's how the NIV translates it. Uh, some other, other translations vary on that. But this idea of the divine nature, Peter is playing into this Hellenistic Greek mindset. See, for the Greek, the, the greatest thing was, was to become one of the gods, right? Like the demigods were their heroes. They were half god and half human, and they did these amazing things. And for the Greek, that is the apex, that I can become a god, not be like God or have his character, but become a God. I can have this divinity. Well, he's playing on this, this idea and he's sort of stealing it to say something about our relationship with God. Not that we can become God, but that we can participate in his nature, that we can enjoy his character. So I had to look up the word participate because I always think like uh, you get a participation award just for showing up. And I thought, okay, well, maybe that's not what it means. So to participate, it's kind of a big definition. It says, one, to become involved in. So that makes sense, like you participate. One, it means to, uh, to, uh, to join in an activity, to take part, to share, to partner. And listen to this, to possess some of the attributes of, so that we can possess some of the attributes of the divine nature. You realize that that's what the Bible is saying? I'm not saying that you and I are going to glow when we wake up in the morning. I'm saying that Peter says that we're supposed to possess God's character. We're supposed to join and participate in God's character being lived out in our lives. A large part of the reason that people don't understand the gospel is because the people who are telling them the gospel aren't living the gospel out. And so they say, well, why would I believe what you say? You tell me that God is good and then you lie? I don't believe you. The gospel has to be proclaimed from those, not who are perfect, but who are participating in the divine nature. And then it says this, and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. It's contrasted with God's own glory and goodness. So my question is this, God's given us divine power. He's given us these great and precious promises so that we can participate in his nature. So, Last week, or the past two weeks ago, why was I struggling so much? I was not doing well. I was not patient. I was not kind. I was not doing all these things. Now that well, I just need to plan better. I just need to organize my time better. I need to be kind. I need to listen. I need to, uh, I need to be more disciplined. I've got to get up and go exercise. I've got to, I've got to do all these things, and then I will be better. So there's a book, if any of you know, I'm a big fan of A.W. Tozer. And he says things way better than I do. And he talks about in this book, The Pursuit of God, this idea of when, when the veil tore in the temple. So Jesus, when he died and said it is finished, this veil that separated the holiness of God from the rest of mankind, this veil tore from top to bottom, symbolizing that, that God's holiness was now available to everyone who would believe. It's amazing. And then he talks about that so many of us kind of stand outside the temple and we just kind of wander around when the glory of God is right there and I can just walk in. And he says, well, why do we do that? And he says, yes, God tore the veil, but then we, we weave our own. And he talks about what do these veils look like? And he says this, he says, I am, I am bold to name the threads out of which this inner veil is woven. And this is the things in my life that were separating me from God. 
not like an eternal separation, but my relationship with God. I was not experiencing this life that he wants for us. This veil is woven of the fine threads of the self-life. Listen, the hyphenated sins of the human spirit. They are not something we do, they are something we are. And therein lies both their subtlety and their power. Listen to this. To be specific, we weave this veil of the self-sins, of self-righteousness, self-pity. I'm so good at screwing up and then beating myself down. Like I'm a champ. I'm like number one champ of, oh, I screwed up and I'm going to just hammer myself all day long. And the Lord's sitting there going, is not my grace for you too, you big doofus? You give it to other people and then you take it away when it's needed for you? Self-pity, self-confidence, self-sufficiency, self-admiration, self-love, and a host of others like them. That we weave this veil of self between us and the Lord that I say, Lord, I will do something. I will do this now, and then once I've done these things, then I will have a relationship with you again. He says, these things dwell too deep within us and are too much a part of our natures to come to our attention till the light of God is focused upon them. Self is the opaque veil that hides the face of God from us. And he says this, he says, in human experience, this veil is made of living tissue, living spiritual tissue, and it's composed of the sentient quivering stuff of which our whole being consists and to touch it listen to this to touch that veil that we have woven is to touch us where we feel pain to tear it away is to injure us to hurt us and make us bleed to say otherwise is to make the cross no cross and death no death at all it is never fun to die to rip through the dear and tender stuff of which life is made can never be anything but deeply painful. Yet that is what the cross did to Jesus, and that is what the cross would do to every person to set him free. But it's not fun to read that. Because God is calling me to come to him and lay all this self-stuff that I had put up. I'm going to do all these things better, God. And God comes to me and he says, No, you won't. You will come to me my way. And that is, in raw, naked vulnerability before me. You will not come with anything of yours. You leave yourself outside, yourself whatever, and you just bring you. Why? Because he has given me divine power already. I don't have to go get it. Do you see that? I have it already. Why? Because I, through the righteousness of God our Savior, have received a faith as precious as Peter's. He's given me everything I need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his glory and goodness. He's given me the very great and precious promises. Why? So that I might share, participate, be involved in his divine nature. But I can't do that if I bring all my stuff to him and say, look how great I am. I'm going to do it my way. He requires that I die to myself to live to Christ. It is only and always that way for the believer. And so a couple weeks ago, I kind of came up to the Lord and he was like, all right, now what do you lack? What do you need from me? And he brought me to this passage. And the only thing I could say is, I lack nothing. I lack nothing else. And his answer to me was, then come into my presence and enjoy it. So my question to you is, is, what do you lack? 
Because according to this passage, you only can lack two things. You can either lack faith, if you lack this faith as precious as Peter's faith, then you're not a believer. If you lack faith and you're not saved and you need to come to Jesus, or you lack participation, and you, like me, are standing outside the holiness of God, which we are called to experience, and I'm just wandering around trying to make the best of my days, missing out on all the glory and the goodness that this life is supposed to have. So my question to you is, are you experiencing the glory and the goodness of God? And if you're not, what do you lack? Because you don't lack anything. He has given us everything we need for the full beauty and experience of life to live out a life that pleases Him, a life of joy and grace and hope and forgiveness and of power. So I found myself missing that. And so I want to call you just with me. I, I, I am not some kind of mystic. I don't have it all figured out. I, I'm just walking with Jesus. That's all that we do. And then we preach about it through the Word. That's it. It's not magical. We don't do it right. I don't do it right half the time. Just ask my kids. I say that all the time. Ask my wife, and I'm sure that she can tell you how I'm not doing it well. Or ask any of, anybody around here. I mean, I forgot that we we're supposed to get popsicles or water this week. Like, I don't do it well all the time. It happens. You know, poor Trev had to go to get water. It's terrible failure. Anyway, so there you go, self-pity. You see it? It just rolls right into it. So, I want to invite you to participate in the divine nature. Do you hear that? I want to invite you to participate in the divine nature of the risen Christ. I'm not making this stuff up. The reason I want to call you to participate in the divine nature is because I want you to be able to participate in the divine nature because it's what we're called to do. Because if you're not doing that, you will not be able to escape the corruption in this world. We can't. We need God's power to live God's way and to tell the people who don't know him of the only way to salvation through Christ. If you have no idea how to do that, the conduit, at least in my own life, was prayer. And that means that you just go before the Lord and you just talk to him. You just get on your knees and you say, Lord, help me see all the junk that is keeping me from walking with you. Show me the veil that's keeping me from this intimate, deep, and precious power I want it. You've told me about it. I ask for it in Jesus' name. Would you show it to me? And in your mind, visualize yourself walking into the Holy of Holies and, and understanding and experiencing the glory of God. As we close in worship, I, uh, I want you to respond in some way. I don't mean I want you to do something like to stand up and shake your hands or whatever. I mean, I want you in your heart, if you want to stand up, if you want to walk around, you do whatever you want, whatever God's calling you to do. But either you have never accepted Christ and you need to, or, or, or you want to experience, you may be experiencing the fullness of, of the, the divine nature right now, and you're like, and if you are, man, you just keep pressing in. You just keep pressing in. You just keep running. You just grab onto God's hand and you just run and run just like in the last battle in the Chronicles of Narnia. Further up and further in. Don't stop. Keep going. Keep running. But if you're not experiencing that, I don't want you to live that way anymore. 
I want to be a church that participates in the divine nature of our Savior because He's called us to it and He's empowered us to it and He wants it for us. So as we close in worship, I I want you to respond to the Lord as we do it. And I want you to not leave until you've at least talked to Him about what it is that He wants you to do and how it is that He wants you to invite, to go into uh, His invitation that He has given to you. So please pray with me. Lord Jesus, I, uh, those cicadas are loud, Lord. You made them very noisy. <laughs> and uh, I, I thank you for all the ways that you demonstrate your goodness and your creativity in nature. I thank you for the way that you have given us a place to worship you. I thank you for the fact that you have given us everything we need for life and godliness that I do not need to necessarily go to a bookstore and get something, although books are great, but that you have given us the power that we need, divine power, to participate in the divine nature, to participate in the character of the risen Christ, that we can truly walk in a manner that pleases you, not because we have to earn it, Lord Jesus, but because you've given it to us. Lord, would you help us to to just run straight into the throne room, to just run straight into the glory that you've given us, to lay aside our self-doubt and our self-pity and our self-righteousness and our self-confidence, that we would deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow you, that we would be willing to come to you, Lord Jesus, and die to ourselves, so that we can live in Christ. Would you do this for us, O God? It was in your initiation, and it is by your power that it must happen, Lord Jesus. We can only believe and respond to your movement. Help us to do that. We need your power. We claim your promises. We need your grace. Draw us in. Teach us. Correct us, rebuke us, and train us in righteousness that we can experience the glory that you have given us. In Christ's risen and exalted name we pray.